0: Welcome to the Darwinian Demon podcast. There was a man, an inventor who invented the world. He invented fortunes for a man named Bell. George Washington Carver made the peanuts great. Showed any man with the mind could create. You read about Malcolm X in a history text. Just the complex, need... Run DMC's proud to be black. One of the figures they mentioned in that song is George Washington Carver. And George Washington Carver is the subject of this this episode of the podcast. And I'm focusing on George Washington Carver because, you know, I started thinking about botanists. And George Washington Carver is easily, easily the most famous American botanist. If you don't believe me, just name a botanist more famous than George Washington Carver. I'll wait. Right, exactly. It's George Washington Carver. Easily, clearly the most famous American botanist. And he should be. Because not only did he work as a botanist I mean, he was an inventor he 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 invented you know lots of things that was that was his life's work was to try to invent things and try to help improve others' lives and he was a person that tried to give selflessly and so that's that's what i wanna talk about in this episode because I feel like he's um he may even be becoming a forgotten figure, you know. And basically, my goal with this episode is to have you run to the grocery store and go buy a jar of peanut butter. That's mainly what I want you to do. I want you to think about George Washington Carver when you do it. Imagine being a newborn baby. You are just born. You go to your mother. You suck on your mother's breast days and days, months maybe past and you you know you bond with your mother you and your mother are are bonded and then all of a sudden she's gone you had a father he's gone the people around you all the sounds and smells that you got used to that you grew to to know they're all gone and then all of a sudden there's new sounds and smells and there's new people around you they don't look anything like your mother right and you have to rebond. So you bond with these people and you grow up. And as you grow up and get older and older, you realize you were born into slavery. And the people who raised you are people who purchased you. And then later you find out even more. You find out the people who purchased you you were actually stolen from them at some point, and your mother and father were killed when you were, because they were stolen. You were all stolen from people who originally stole you from Africa. But, so you were kidnapped, and you're the only surviving member of your family, but you, never, you don't remember any of them. You just remember these people you now know as white people. That's the beginning of George Washington Carver's life. George Washington Carver was born into slavery. And he, he basically was raised by he was raised by white people who at one point had owned him as a slave. And it was this German immigrant family. Oddly enough, the, the father of this family, the patriarch of this family, his 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 first name, which I cannot get over, this the irony of this. His first name was Moses. Now, this Moses character, this guy, he was actually a pro-slavery unionist. So he so at the time of the Civil War, he wanted the union to stay together, but he was also pro-slavery. So and his name was Moses. I mean, he should have just checked his name. Moses, people who don't know the Bible, Moses is a figure in the Bible who freed the slaves. This Moses, you know, apparently he was pro-slavery. But the weird thing is, it's kind of this, this weird schizophrenic relationship that, that they must have had with young George Washington Carver. This family encouraged him to learn to read and write. And so this is all after slavery. So George Washington Carver was born somewhere around the time slavery ended. And his family was kidnapped. You know, his mother... And father and his and uh, his sister, they were kidnapped by slave robbers, and then this, but from this German family, the German family ends up getting George Washington Carver back. Slavery ends, and they raise him and encourage him to learn how to read and write, and so he learns how to read and write, and he's a young man in America with no real family, except for. Um, this this white family. Now, the interesting thing about this is you don't really hear much. You know, he, does, he has much, not, doesn't have much more to say about these people. So it, it couldn't have been the best upbringing, upbringing. You know, it couldn't have been a loving home, right? But that's where George Washington Carver began. That's where his life began. That's going to become a scientist. He was pretty, um, he had to be very curious as a child you know just intellectually curious had to look at the world and see and just have questions and wonder why things worked the way they were they did and, and why things looked the way they did all kinds of questions and um education had to be super valuable to him you know and it's 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 very easy to take this for granted in this this world we live in now where you know kids half kids are expected to go to school kids have to go to school there's schools everywhere you know you could be homeless a child could be homeless, and they can go to school even though they're homeless. Like Schools are everywhere, and, and, and in fact, kids have to go to school. It's by law they have to go to school. Well, that was very different in the late 1800s when George Washington Carver was a child. And the town he lived in didn't even, have, didn't even allow black kids to go to school at all. It was against the law for them to go to school there. So he had to go to a different town that was 10 miles away, to go to a black school, and when I say black school, I don't mean a school that they painted black. I mean it was a school for black children. And so, he, you know, ten miles, you're know, ten mile walk from home. That's that's like three hours. That's hours and hours of just walking just to get to school. So, he ends up, you know, he sleep. I think he sleeps in a barn, or somewhere near the school. That's where he ends up sleeping. And this woman, you know, she, she, she takes a liking to him and she, she um, wants to help him out. And so she, you know, she, she takes care of him while he's, you know, basically sleeping near the school. And, you know, he, he introduces himself and he tells her, well, I'm Carver's George. And she says, well, no, your name is George Carver. You know, and that had to be a big deal. You know, that had to be a real moment for him to think about it. Like, well, yeah, like his name. Names are important. Kind of forget that, but names are names are important. He he, he says his name is George. She ch- tells him his name is George Car George Carver, and that's that's the name he t- he takes on. And she also and she also tells him you know education is important because you can you can really help your own people through education. And he, when you look at his life, he he clearly took that to heart because that was. That was very important to him. That was the thing that that was super important to George Washington Carver. you know I'm, it's easy to be cynical nowadays because there are so many people who are um who seem to be very i mean there's a lot of selfless people in the world still, but you know it seems like everybody's just out for themselves sometimes but 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 as you'll see with his life, he really wasn't he was really trying to um he was really trying to help you know he was using his mind to to help the world and especially to help black people. At 13, George Washington Carver does something that's really interesting to me. At 13, he moves, he moves in with another foster family in a different state. So he moves to Kansas. Because he wants to go to school at some at some academy in Kansas. He wants to go to school there. And why that's interesting to me is cuz you know, I was 13 once. Anyone here over 13, you remember what it was like to be 13. And going to, a, going to school at a different school just because you wanted to learn from that school, I mean, that's, that was the furthest thing from your mind when you were 13. That was definitely the furthest thing from my mind at 13. Maybe there's some, you know, there's probably some overachieving 13-year-olds out there, but still. That's not, that's not the, the way that even a typical high-achieving 13-year-old thinks. So he moves in with another foster family. I mean, that's a that's a crazy proposition. You're going to move in with people you don't know because you want to go to school so bad. And I actually think that that kind of thinking was a lot more typical of this generation of that generation of black people. Remember George Washington Carver, that, that generation of black people that, that where he's from is these are the first black people to be in America. And not be slaves. So they, most of them, actually were born in or raised in slavery. They had that kind of emotional baggage on them. And these people, when you, you just see story, if you, especially if you go back and look at your, your ancestry or look at other black people's ancestry, they're just story after story of these amazingly high-achieving people from this time. You know, people who did amazing things just really from nothing. You know, like that old Drake song, started from the bottom, now we hear, here. Like, really? Like, even, I mean, beyond starting from poverty, just starting from a pit that, you know, you can't even describe. And then many of these people just, you know, just striving for education, striving for a better life. You know, there's a lot of, you know, and and popular terms in America we, we we look at the the generation that fought World War II and we we call them the greatest generation that's this thing you know and that's that's just a silly thing in a way to say anyway it's like who's the greatest generation you know they you know but but we do we we call that generation in World War II we call them the greatest generation but if you ask me as a black person we look at all these you know just the generations of black americans that group of people who came out of slavery and then had to try to make a life in this hostile ass country, those people, I mean that really is to me that's the greatest generation. I mean, to be able to do that. And these people when you look, these people achieved. I mean, these people, you know, there were there were all these black Congress people, there were all these towns that shot up all these all these um you know black towns that that came into being all this this wealth was generated people were trying to grow their own crops and farm their own farms and have their own thing and black people really started to achieve at this point you know this this is the this is the the time between slavery and between the onset of jim crow and i mean I'm basically what it seems to happen is you know, white people. You know, they took their eye off. They were like, "Look, they're not slaves anymore." But you know, whatever. They're just they're just black people. Who cares? And then they turned around, and these people started to achieve. They started to do things, and they were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! We gotta, we gotta put the, we gotta put the brakes on this." And so Jim Crow came in, and put the kibosh on a lot of this. But it's it's easy. I, I think I think in this day and age, it's been so much time has passed. Although not that much, but time has passed where it's easy to forget or to look over this group of people. You know, we think about slavery, we think about the civil rights movement, but this group of people who came, who were raised as slaves or who had been slaves and then were free and started with nothing, started with less than nothing because all they had was slavery. All they had was just you know, I mean, you know, like today, right now, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about, um, you know, as we should, you know, these families that, that, were, that have been separated at the border. I mean, these are people who, their whole, whole family is separated, and you have to just start a life. Like, you're just, slavery's over now, go live. And, damn it, these people, they did it. They did it. They began to make these lives. And George Washington Carver, he was one of them at 13 at 13 years old he was like I want to go to a better school I'm going to move out of state And move in with this foster family in Kansas So he goes to Kansas And um In some town um, In Kansas um, I think the town is is called uh, yeah Fort Scott Kansas And he goes to this town and he sees this black man Killed in the town And um He's like, oh, fuck this town. He leaves the town. He has to get out of there. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine what that was like, right? You're 13 years old. You're trying to go to school again. Imagine being 13. You're 13 and you see a man killed by a group of white people. So you see a black man killed by a group of white people. And here you are, a 13-year-old boy and a foster family just trying to go to school. So he leaves that town and he goes on to school somewhere else and he ends up going to high school and getting his you know, high school diploma. And then he starts looking to go to college. And he starts trying to go to colleges. And so he applied to several colleges, you know, quite a a few colleges. And then he got accepted into a college somewhere in in Kansas. He gets accepted at this college. And, um, you know, he, he goes there. He goes to the college. And then this is one of the craziest, not one of the craziest things to happen to him. But this is a pretty crazy thing to happen. You can imagine you... Put yourself, again, put yourself in George Washington Carver's shoes. You've been busting your ass doing everything you can to get your education. Working really, really hard to get your education. Applying to all these colleges. And you apply to a college. It's a place called Highland University. In Highland, Kansas. I had to look up the name. And um, you apply there and they accept you. So you get, you're like, man, I'm going to college. He gets he gets there, and they look at him. They see he's black, and they're like, get the fuck out of here. So no college for him. You know, and it's like, well, you might be thinking, like, well, how how did they not know? How did they not know he was black? Well, you I mean, you can imagine back then, they didn't have a little box to check to say race. They just assumed everyone who was applying for the college and everyone who would be qualified would be white. I mean, they assumed, or, or definitely not black. I mean, they, you know, I mean, again, this is, this is a time when most white people thought that black people were, you know, basically a type of ape, probably. That's probably, that's, that, I think that's kind of how they, I mean, although humans are a type of ape, but you know what I mean. They basically thought, well, there's chimps, then there's black people, and then when you go way, way up the evolutionary ladder, there's white people. That's kind of the thinking back then. And so, you know, (laughs) he goes there and he, you know, does everything totally qualified and he's not allowed to go to college there. And, I, you know, I think about some of the what the, the administrators who said he couldn't go to college there, what they how what they thought about at night before they went to bed, you know, because that application had to fuck with them what i mean by that is they spent all this time you know building this identity saying that the world worked one way and here comes george washington carver he applies to their little college he's totally qualified and he totally gets he, he totally gets accepted but then they reject him because he's black and then they have to look at all the black people that they see from this point on and they have to think about that they have to think about how they thought the world was one way and maybe it's not the way they thought it was. You know, I don't know what it's like to think like that. I don't know what it's like to, to be like that. But the, the stories that they probably told themselves about themselves and about what they were doing had to be pretty elaborate. I mean, all the George Washington Carvers that they had enslaved, you know, remember slavery is real fresh in people's memories at this point. It's super fresh. Everybody remembers it at this point. And so George Washington Carver, he I can imagine he was he had to be super depressed. He had to be super sad. He worked all his life at this point just to get an education and he's denied an education. And so he starts farming he gets a little money to start a farm and he starts farming. He's living alone, farming. And this is also a really interesting point in his life because this is, this is the point where I look at his life and he say, well, yeah, I mean, George Washington Carver was clearly a gay man because he starts farming and he makes no attempt or it seems as if he makes no attempt to have a wife. Like there's no wife at this point. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being a straight man and you have a farm and you're farming and then you're like, yeah, I don't need to get married. I'm just going to be a single farmer out here farming alone. And so, um, but he does. He, he, he has a farm and he's farming at this point. And trying to grow crops. But that dream of education, that still burns in him. He still wants the education. And he's still trying to get it. Despite the fact that he is actually farming. Again, you know, and people do this. People definitely do this now. People, There are people who work and put themselves through school or work so that they can get money to go to school. I mean, education is still a dream today. But the the pressure at that point in his life and at that that point in society, how strong you had to be to maintain that dream of an education to come so close and then just be told, no, you can't go to school here because cause you're black. After he'd worked so hard. I mean, that had to be that had to really be. I mean, that really had to weigh on him. That and that's that's an understatement to weigh on. That had to that had to be some depressing ass shit. That's the only way I could. Des- I, I I can't think of words to describe what that was like. To see to feel like your whole dream, everything you worked for, is just like extinguished. Because you expect people to act civilized when you you've been civilized, but you expect these other people to act civilized and they're not. They're still on some, you know. They're still basically looking at you like you're livestock. But George Washington Carver's dream did not die. He held on to his dream. And um, soon after, you know, he starts farming, he actually gets a $300 loan for education. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, you Think about your student loans, if you have student loans. $300 student loan for education. So he gets this... Three hundred dollar loan for it, for his education, and he starts studying again. Again, I guess he, you know, he divests from his farm, and he starts to stu- he begins studying art and piano. And his art teacher can, you know, she he or she can tell that that he has a real talent for botany. You know, George Washington Carver was an artist. He actually painted quite you know, he actually painted lots of pictures of flowers and and, and plants. And so you could tell he had a, a talent for botany. And so he um, begins to study botany. And you can imagine, you know, the most famous botanist in America, he's probably a pretty good botanist. And you know, he goes from graduating and then getting a master's degree from Iowa State and botany. And actually, gets on the faculty and starts teaching at Iowa State, and becomes the first black faculty member in that department. And I, I took a quick look at at the at uh, their agronomy department, and and um, it looks like they're about as diverse now as they were in the in the time of George Washington Carver. So, anyway, um, so George Washington Carver, he, you know, he's teaching at Botany, and um, this other historical figure and black history, reaches out to him. And that's Booker T. Washington of the Tuskegee Institute, which would become Tuskegee University later. But George, uh, Booker T. Washington reaches out to him and wants him to join the faculty at, at the Tuskegee Institute. And George Washington Carver, you know, after they negotiate, he, he, he agrees and he goes down there, down to Alabama, and becomes a botanist and at the Tuskegee Institute. And that's where he really begins to flourish and where he really begins to develop his, a lot of his, his work, a lot of the things he's, he's mainly known for. And one of his passions at this time was crop improvement. Crop improvement, of course, was, was really important to, to black people in America at, that, at this point. You know, Black people at that time were mostly... Um, mostly engaged in farming that was that was people's livelihood you know a lot of people were sharecroppers a lot of people maybe even owned their own farms but farming was very very important and methods of crop improvement were very important and one of the one of the key crops at that time was cotton you know these these black farmers had been growing cotton since slavery and they really needed ways to to increase their yields. And cotton is terrible for the soil. Cotton just depletes the, like many crop plants, cotton depletes the, the soil of nutrients. And George Washington Carver really wanted to help with that. And so, enter the peanut. Now, at this time, before George Washington Carver began to popularize the peanut, peanuts were basically but they were mainly um food feed for hogs and they weren't really all that important but George Washington Carver saw a lot of potential in the um in the peanut and it's not that he invented the peanut or people had never heard of the peanut peanuts were um you know they were they were an agricultural crop before he before he really popularized them but he really wanted to popularize the peanut so but, well before we do that let's just step back and 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 before we go into the peanut, how it was important for crop improvement, let's just step back and examine what a peanut is. The peanut is actually a hybrid between two closely related species, and it's uh, it originally was a sterile hybrid, so what's, it's thought that this the peanut was, the agricultural peanut we, that we ate now it was actually it was a sterile hybrid, but the... Hybrid basically doubled its chromosome number and then was no longer sterile. That's one of these crazy things which we won't get into with this episode, but one of these crazy things about plants that they do quite frequently um, compared to animals is weird things like that, like just having a mutation that doubles their chromosome number and, and basically turns them into a different kind of plant. Don't tell intelligent design people that. So... the the the, um, the peanut is also, so it's, it's from, and it's also from South America. So the peanut originally is, originated in South America, and it, you know, it had a pretty minor role as an agricultural plant in the time, you know, before George Washington Carver really began to popularize it. Now, if you take a look at a peanut, right, first of all, a peanut's not a real, not really a nut. It's, it's not, you know, they don't grow on trees, and it's not a nut in, in the botanical sense, because a nut is basically the you know, you, you, it's the hardened walls here. Here's, some, here's a quick like botanical term. the hardened ovary walls of a flower. What's the ovary of a flower? Well, an orange. When you peel the orange, that peel, that's, that stuff on the outside, that's the ovary. Well, a nut. Imagine if that was, like, really hard. That would be a nut. Well, a peanut is not, is not that at all. When you look, look at a peanut, you might have noticed a peanut looks a lot like snap peas, you know, or a or type of bean. If you've ever grown beans or seen beans or any kind of peas, you know, peas in a pod, you know, it looks a lot like a like A peanut looks a lot like that. And that's not a coincidence. That's because peanuts and beans and peas, they're all in the same plant family. Family Fabiaceae. Now the thing about this family is plants in this family have a symbiotic relationship with bacteria, specifically nitrogen fixing bacteria. And what these, these bacteria are able to do is they're able to get nitrogen from the air and put it into the soil. So that's why they call it called nitrogen fixing. They basically take atmospheric nitrogen and turn it into Ammonia turn it into soil-borne nitrogen that the plants can actually use. The plants can't use the nitrogen that's in the air, but they can use the nitrogen that's in the soil. And so these these bacteria are are really important for for um, for these plants, and, and they allow them to live in really nutrient-poor soils. And nitrogen's super important for plants; it's the most limiting nutrient for plants for plant growth. Plants need nitrogen more than they need any other um, nutrient. And so one of the major works of George Washington Carver's life was promoting the peanut for this rare reason, basically for crop rotation. So these farmers, they would grow cotton and cotton, the cotton would deplete the soil. So over time, their yield of cotton would, would decrease. Well, you put in peanuts... And, you know, all of a sudden the crop yield shoots, shoots up, right? Peanut, the, 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 ye- the next year you put the cotton back in the soil, you, you grow cotton again, soil is much more enriched because it had had those nitrogen fixing bacteria in it. There's much more nitrogen in the soil and you get a much better cotton crop the next, the next year. And in, in, in his experiments with, with um, crop rotation and using peanuts, you know George Washington Carver was able to show that this was actually the case. he was actually able to to increase the yields now when you now you might be thinking, well, peanuts were not popular well what you know what were you what were you going to do? What do you expect farmers to do to take a year off and then grow these useless ass peanuts? Well, that was the point of George Washington Carver really trying to popularize the use of the peanuts, and as well he should have they they really are a great crop they're highly. You know, they're, they're very nutrient-rich themselves. You know, now when you, when you go to a health food store now, you know, it's, it's again, it's one of these things that's like easy to forget because now everybody's all crazy on all these nut butters, right? It always sounds kind of weird when you say nut butter. But there's always these, these, all these different, you know, you can go, you can get almond butter, cashew butter, all these different things. And let's just think about almond butter for a minute. Like, almond butter is like this hoity-toity butter. Like, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm too good to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm going to eat a something with almond butter. First of all, let's just compare an almond to a peanut. Nutritionally, peanuts and almonds, I mean, I think it's a wash. They're like about the same, nutritionally. I think there's a little more fat in a peanut. It's probably good fat. Fat's not necessarily bad for you. But probably a little more fat in a peanut. But let's think about the environment. Let's think about what it takes. One almond. One almond takes a gallon of water. It takes a gallon of water to get you one almond. Peanuts use 16 times less water. It takes than, than almonds for the same amount of almonds. So you just imagine your, you know, your, your super environmentally conscious hippie going over to the Whole Foods to buy some almond butter Riding a bicycle because they don't want to use, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to use gasoline and then buying almonds. Almonds are terrible for the environment relative to peanut but peanuts. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things, if, if there had been almond butter first and then peanut butter, people would be losing their minds. Because in, in my opinion, I mean, almond butter tastes terrible compared to peanut butter, but hey, and then to each his own. But from a, from a, from a, from the standpoint of a farmer, it's a no brainer. If you ask me, I mean, peanuts, they just, they use a lot less water. The plants are able to, are a lot more drought resistant. They're able to sort of, sort of hold off. So they'll just stop flowering and, and stop growing during times of drought. Then when it starts raining again, they just pick it right back up. So they're great plants for nutrient poor soils. And they're great plants for, for, for drier soils as well. And so he really wanted to promote, peanuts as a crop rotation to, for crop rotation to increase yields of cotton which again as a black person it's like you know when we think about it, it's like this generation of black people they went right back to growing cotton to survive i mean i can't imagine how sick of cotton you have to be if you are a slave growing cotton it's like you can jump right back into the into the cotton economy and you're growing cotton you know, they did and, and George Washington Carver really wanted to help his people improve their crop yields and basically help them to grow cotton. And crop rotation was a was a big part of that. And so to improve this, to improve the crop crops and to help people make basically have a better life, he really worked hard to popularize the peanut. Now remember, as as the peanut gets more and more popular, you know it can it can go from being basically a waste where you grow these peanuts and you just try to find some hog farmers to sell these peanuts to, to a cash crop in itself. So he worked really hard to come up with inventions for for the peanut, different ways to use peanut oil, um, different peanut based products, so that people would grow more and more peanuts. And therefore, it would be, you know, farmers would, would always make money. So you make money selling cotton, and then, the, then when you're doing crop rotation and you're growing peanuts, you make money selling your peanuts. So he wanted to popularize the, the plant in itself and, and the, the peanut as a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a food source and a source for oil, a source for all kinds of different products. He worked really hard to find new inventions that relied on the peanut because he wanted this to be a cash crop. He wanted the peanut to be a a valuable crop for farmers because because of its use in sustainable agriculture. I mean that's a buzzword, that's one of these things that we're really interested in today. And it's it's one of these, you know, things you just see over and over again sustainable agriculture, sustainability, and that's what he was all about. You know, I mean, it's definitely, you know, ahead of his time in that way and you know he puts out these bulletins for farmers and he begins to be really famous in agricultural service, circles but then he becomes even more famous because he gives this he gives this congressional testimony and that kind of this this congressional testimony he gives actually kind of puts him over the top as far as being famous you know it's one of these things that that, that sort of let a lot of different people know about him and this happened somewhere around the 1920s where China was basically flooding the U.S. market with cheap peanuts. And so there was this debate whether they should be a a tariff on these Chinese peanuts. I mean, it's like, again, we're talking about tariffs on China, right? Nothing. That's that's exactly what's in the news right now. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. So he gives this congressional testimony. Now, reportedly what happens at this congressional testimony is all these southern uh congressmen they're outraged that this black man is going to be given a a testimony in congress and they you know they're they're very boisterous about it and they um really upset by it and uh, apparently some of them acted out on the floor of congress you know like they really didn't want him to, to talk but he he speaks and and you know it's this eloquent great speech that he gives about the uses of the peanut and um they end up passing the bill and, and having the terrorists. But it's also interesting to me that, you know, again, these people who you know, apparently he, you know, George Washington Carver couldn't wasn't qualified to give congressional testimony because he's not civilized and they're acting as uncivilized as they possibly can. But he gives this congressional testimony and, and he becomes really famous. You know, he he and he becomes, you know, synonymous with the peanut basically. And you know through all his work with inventions he did- he never really made a lot of money, but he wasn't really trying to make a lot of money and and a lot of his peanut based inventions they didn't go that far and they weren't really ever widely um accepted and so in um nineteen forty three i think it is he he died yeah nineteen forty three he you know he died at about eighty years old and um you know, he didn't have a lot, of, he didn't leave a lot of money, didn't have a lot of money at that point. But he made a lot of contributions. And he's a, you know, he's a a big figure in in black history. Now, when you read more about George Washington Carver, you read all this stuff about how he, um, how he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a, a real scientist. That's, that's the, the subtext of what you read. And they write that, I guess, because he wasn't just out there, you know, discovering new plants or discovering new cures for whatever, you know, he wasn't out there, you know, doing what non-scientists consider to be science, but there's a lot, there's a lot more to being a scientist than just putting on a lab coat every day and, and writing a bunch of papers that 10 people are going to read. And, um, and it's, it's, it's one of these things where people who don't know science, they, 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 they don't really understand it. And the first thing about... The first thing I want to address about that point, like he wasn't a real scientist. He didn't really do... He would have been a better scientist if he had done this or that or the other thing. Is like, first of all, no one does science. No one does the science in a vacuum. No one does anything alone as a scientist. You know, no one just like pops up and is like, oh, look, I just discovered this new thing and no one else had thought about it before and I'm, I'm the first person to think about it and I just figured the whole thing out by myself. It doesn't work like that. I mean, let's look at Charles Darwin and natural selection and, and evolution. Charles Darwin wasn't the first person to think of evolution. He wasn't even necessarily the first person to come up with the idea of natural selection. You know, he drew on the knowledge of lots of different people He wrote the book, and it was a great book. But, you know, he didn't do this in a vacuum. Same thing, same kind of, so it's same kind of thing with with George Washington Carver. You know, these people work on different things with different people. And no one does any of these things alone. In addition, you know, you get older, you become an older scientist like George Washington Carver was sort of later in his life when he was really popularizing the peanut. And you don't really spend a lot of time in the lab. But his work as a, as a scientist on the, the role of crop rotation, I mean, that stuff speaks for itself. He was absolutely right. And he, he showed himself to be right through experimentation. I mean, that's, that's being a scientist. That's science. So it's really odd to me that, that a lot of people want to go back and sort of discount him as a scientist. You know, at the time that he was popularizing the peanut in evolutionary biology, evolutionary biology was sort of in this weird period where they had discovered, you know, that the, the theory of evolution was sort of solidified, and then this idea of natural selection was definitely out there, but natural selection and, and evolution hadn't really been reconciled with genetics at this point. And you know, had had Carver been a white scientist, he would have had the luxury to be able to work on that stuff. He would have been able to work on botany, you know, find some specific group of plants that he was really interested in and know every little thing about some small group of plants that no one cared about but him and about six or seven other people. But he didn't have that luxury. He was a black scientist trying to help black people who had, you know, bigger fish to fry than than something like that. And so it was really important to him to help his people improve crops because that was that was seriously important that was very important and so it's it's one of these things where now you know years and years later people want to go back and say well he wasn't really a scientist and his inventions didn't make a lot of money it's like well you got to step back and and really look at the man's contributions because they were they were very important and if I can leave you with anything about George Washington Carver, it's that, you know, he was really a complete scientist in the sense that scientists are supposed to be scientists today. And, you know, in this, this environment, this, the sort of funding environments that we have now in, in the United States, especially, like, they, you know, they, they want you to not only be a scientist, but they want you to do all this public outreach and they want you to do all these other things with your time that aren't actually being in the lab and discovering new stuff. I mean, George Washington Carver was that. You know, again, I, th- I think he was well ahead of his time in many, in many different respects. And he definitely deserves to be the most famous American botanist, in my opinion. So, anyway, that's a brief, you know, a sort of brief history of, of George Washington Carver's life. And uh, I'm gonna end this episode with part of a song from Stevie Wonder's uh, Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants that specifically addresses George Washington Carver and his contribution. One of slaves who died Too soon to realize The name his life would be self Weathers your minds would see He said if farmland was to be raised We must plant farms to replenish his But it took him persuasion and death Convinced them, Father's way was there.